Um, so yeah, I'm excited to finally meet you. Um, I know, you know, it's awesome that we have this kind of like Instagram connection community. Um, and I'm excited to talk to you today about some topics that I think we're both passionate about. Um, so I guess it, like if you could just introduce yourself kind of officially and tell me and us about um, your story and kind of what brought you to sharing your story as well on Instagram and kind of what led you to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So um, my name is Zunera Mirza. Um, I go by she, her pronouns. I'm based here in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm originally from Philadelphia area. We moved around a lot in Pennsylvania, but I just kind of claim Philly since that's the longest <laughs> I lived anywhere before I've moved to Atlanta for now. I've been here for more than a decade. So um, yeah, I'm a you know, brown cis woman living in the South. Um, in my kind of, I don't want to claim it, but it is late thirties, <laughs> so closer to forty than I am to thirty. Um, and um, I've been, you know, when you get that diagnosis of unexplained infertility, it's just so infuriating because you want some kind of explanation. So I wasn't diagnosed with that until probably like four years ago, I believe. Um, but I also have multiple sclerosis and that plays a huge role into my fertility journey, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome by several gynes and then also not. And now they're telling me I'm borderline. <laughs> so um, I do have fibroids and I have endometriosis. So, I've actually been in fertility treatments of some kind since um, officially since 2015. And a lot of this again was due to my diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. So for those folks that don't know, MS is um, basically a disease that attacks your nervous system. The way they find out about it is there's lesions in your brain and it kind of manifests differently with different people, but it does tend to get diagnosed mostly in, um, in women in their 30s. Um, and so mine kind of started out with like tingling hands and numbness and just kind of having really um, strange speech patterns where I noticed I was either faltering with words or just forgetting things. Mm -hmm. um, so it took me um, a little while to actually get diagnosed until <laughs> uh, this was awful. I woke up, I think it was Memorial Day weekend in 2014 and literally woke up blind in my right eye, just no sight whatsoever. And it was weird because it came without warning. <laughs> and I was just like, I just had an eye doctor appointment. So I was like, was it because of, you know, those drops that they put in your eye? So I called my optometrist and he's like, that's not normal. Um, got sent to an ophthalmologist. They referred me to a neurologist. They found two lesions on my brain. They're like, hey, you have MS. Um, and this kind of really spurred me into looking into fertility treatments because of several things, um, kind of going all over the place here, but basically like my mom passed away from cancer in December, 2013. My partner and I actually met um, in 2008 in Philly in a tea shop and we kept in touch um, up until like 2010. I was in Atlanta, he was in Philly. Um, and we just, I guess like, you know, things got serious and then we got engaged in 2014. And so all of this was coming to head where I oh, deal with losing my mom, 
and literally recently engaged <laughs> in my early 30s. Um, and I knew I was on the fence about having kids, but I thought like, you know, why not look into at least figuring out what my fertility is like. Mm -hmm. um, but really what spurred it was waking up blind and being like, oh, you have MS, you're going to have to be on these medications. And I'm like, well, if my body's already, and this is the first diagnosis of anything. I, I, I was one of those, like, I never broke a bone in my life. I never had surgery, you know, you know what I mean? Like didn't even get wisdom to yeah. take away later. And so to hear this and realize my body and my mind was completely failing kind of really shocked me into being like, oh my gosh, I got to figure this out. Um, and part of it was I've always had irregular periods, really painful periods. And I don't know what your experience is like, but doctors constantly dismissed me for years. Yeah. And their answer for everything is always, here, take some birth control, you know? Um, which, you know, masks symptoms of endo and right. PCOS. Yeah. And so I was on birth control from the time I was 16 up until my, you know, 30s. Um, never went off of it because, again, also sex equals pregnancy, right? So you just were like, all right, I'm just going to stay on birth control. Um, either way, so that kind of, yeah, started making me think like, okay, I need to look into this. So Finally, a guy was like, okay, I think you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Let's try metformin and Clomid. And Clomid is one of those medications that's used off-brand, I believe, to kind of aid in um, ovulation for folks with polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, where, you know, you're not ovulating consistently. So, and actually, surprisingly, like, we got pregnant. And this was after we'd gotten married, like, in 2015. Um, and then we were told that the fetus wasn't viable and that was just like heartbreaking um and you know i was 31 at the time mm -hmm. um so had to go through a dnc that didn't work had to go through the the medications i can never pronounce them but i'm sure you can <laughs> but i think it's mifepristone misopropstol i can never yeah, no i know i know what you're talking about yeah so basically like I guess the pills you use with medicated abortion, right? Yeah. So, um, and that was eye-opening too, because, you know, you don't realize it and the cramping, it's worse than like a period cramp. And so I, I feel like, you know, you're basically in labor is kind of how I would explain, but I don't know, cause I've never been through labor. So, yeah. um, but it was traumatic to have to go through that at home and pass the rest of what was my, baby right to the toilet so um after that I kind of took a break um mostly because then we got married in August of 2014 and he, he started his PhD program and actually days before our, our wedding um so we never had a honeymoon still haven't had one and <laughs> just calling him out on that and um and I just had just finished grad school like couple years before so I was just in a, a new you know grad career um anywho then it was just six rounds of letrozole after that with absolutely nothing to show for it just negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test mm -hmm. that's when they decided to do like I think I had two HSGs um I can never pronounce those <laughs> so I apologize but those in the fertility world or infertility world like you know you've all pretty much had that done before um 
And so then we were just told, you know, you know what, you might want to just jump into IVF mostly because of my age, but also again, they were just like, well, it's not, it's not working. Um, and so then, you know, tons of blood work and whatever. And so we started IVF, like we started getting into just even registering with the clinic, doing all the blood work, all that, getting his semen sample in 2019. And then of course the pandemic hit in 2020, cause this was like late 2019, right into 2020. Um, and yeah, so, and then we ended up switching clinics and anywho, sorry, I just continue talking. <laughs> oh, please keep going. <laughs> Um, no, but thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, a lot of what you said definitely resonates, um, you know, especially like how this kind of all starts when we're not, a lot of us aren't really like desperate to have a baby. Um, but like now we are after going through all of this, but you know, we're like ingrained to think like, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, like our whole lives. And then it makes us like, like, are we how are we expected to feel ready if like this is what we're thinking for so many years yeah. um, and then navigating the world of infertility and also medicine like mm -hmm. is a lot i think i've also learned i mean i am a physician and now being the patient it's like i've learned how much you have to really like advocate for advocate. yourself yeah because um, mm -hmm. you don't realize like you can really get lost in a pool of like patients and i mean i know um other people too and I mean, PCOS and endometriosis are so hard because like you said, they can be dismissed so easily. People end up being on birth control for like years until they realize, you know, they want to get pregnant and now it's like a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And like, cause you know, in the meantime, the endo is spreading um, with PCOS, like until you realize, until you do IVF, I think it's kind of a, a weird diagnosis too, because you know, folks with like so-called quote unquote true textbook PCOS, actually have a lot of eggs in IVF, right? right? And so in my situation, I've been told forever that I had PCOS and I never really tracked my ovulation until I started IVF and I realized I'm kind of off, kind of not, but it's kind of in a window. Um, but once we did IVF, we realized, no, you actually have diminished ovarian reserve, girl. Like, <laughs> So it's like, I get all the fun stuff of PCOS with all the <laughs> other markers of what it is, but I don't have the high egg yield. So that's why then now they're like, oh, now you're just borderline PCOS. Like you don't have diabetes, you don't have PCOS, but the metformin seems to help regulate your cycles. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. So yeah, so that's been, cause I was like, at least with PCOS, like typically you have, it doesn't mean you have the greatest egg quality, but you have usually have right. a lot, you know, a lot more eggs during retrieval. I'm lucky if I get like four. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, that's when they were like, oh, I don't know why it's doing that. Um, but anyway, so it is. That makes it so much harder. The whole like unexplained part, I feel like, because mm -hmm. so many of us, like we have such different like stories and like different medical journeys. And like, I feel like a lot of us don't fit into like a perfect box or a perfect diagnosis. And we're like, just want to know what's wrong or like how we, yeah. can, how we can fix this. And um, I think that's so frustrating too, because I don't know about how your journey has been be interested to hear. Um, but like my clinic, you know, does very standard kind of protocols. Like they kind of, especially when you first come in, they give like, I feel like they give everybody like the same protocol and you feel like a hamster, right? Or like a lab rat where you're like, 
you're basically, they're just trying to see what works, what protocol, what amount of drugs, what drugs, this and that. And so that's been frustrating because it's like, I've had now five rounds of IVF and two were canceled because I wasn't responding to the protocol appropriately according to the RE. And then I've had two others where it was almost a similar protocol, but very different, very different response. So yeah, I feel, I feel like that unexplained fertility and then also realizing like, are you actually tailoring this protocol to me or are yeah. you throwing anything at me? Yeah. That's probably the most frustrating part for me personally through this whole journey. No, I definitely agree with that. And I think also it's like somewhat the nature of the um, like field itself because it is so like experimental and like the yeah. data itself is also like very kind of questionable. Um, so in a way we are kind of all hamsters like and like a lot I know for a fact a lot of like what my doctor is doing is just kind of like based on like you know anecdotally like what she's seen work but like there's not a lot of like data behind a lot of this stuff yeah. Um, yeah. and you know I so I like really quickly um my my general story so I we started trying to conceive like around two years ago um and then basically I didn't wait very long. I had like friends going through IVF and like for some reason in my head, I was like, after like, after like eight months of negative pregnancy tests and like tracking everything. Um, Cause before that we weren't necessarily tracking it to a T, but um, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go straight to the RE and like get checked out. I didn't, I've never even seen an OB guide. <laughs> I just like went straight. Wow. Um, and we like had a meeting and she kind of talked about IUI, IVF. Um, at that point I'd gone through all the testing and there was nothing to explain um, the reason for um, my infertility. And, um, you know, she just said like, based on the statistics, like just, she would recommend going through with IVF first. Um, mm -hmm. And then I know IUI had like a lot more monitoring involved. Um, and like, I was so busy with work and I was like, let's just go straight to IVF. Um, so I did uh, three retrievals kind of in a row. Um, and I had like borderline results. Like, so she was kind of treating me as um, DOR, like with her protocol. Um, and like, for some reason I would have like a lot of follicles on my ultrasounds, but then when they would go to do the retrieval, like um, it was like really, there was like empty follicles or like the eggs were like, a lot less than what they thought were there. Um, so it wasn't terrible. Like, I think I would get maybe like seven to eight eggs each time. And then obviously, you know, the drop off, like when we find yeah. embryos. Um, but because of that, um, she, you know, thought I might have like silent endometriosis, which um, was interesting to hear. Like my mom had endo. She had it pretty bad actually, but it was more like her symptoms came a lot later in life, oh, like oh. after she even had um, like me and my brother. And so, I mean, I don't know. I was like, that's so weird to think that this actually might be affecting me now. Um, Cause I haven't been symptomatic. I've been like lucky. Like I've been, you know, had normal periods, like ovulate every month. Um, so yeah, that's like kind of her working diagnosis, I guess. But right now we're just continuing regularly before we get into the whole, like, like um, kind of like rabbit hole of endo um, to see what happens with some, like a few transfers first. Um, so I ended up, failing my first transfer um, 
And now we did the ERA, Alice, Emma, um, Receptiva testing to kind of see if there's anything else going on. Um, so I get those results in a couple of weeks and then I'm gonna go to another transfer in June. Um, and I'm sorry to hear about the failed transfer. It's yeah. so painful, right? Because we go through all those shots and all those appointments and all those blood draws. Yeah. And then you have that two week window. I think it's actually less than that, but it feels so long. <laughs> and just to, you know, for it, for it to be nothing, you know, that's why, like, I always say, like, IVF is like the lottery. It's, you know, you're paying to, for a chance to get that that child that you want, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Oh, um, no, thank you. I think it's like, like you said, it was such a like, um, like culmination of everything. Cause like you go through the retrievals, like I had my hysteroscopy, like all of this stuff was like all this buildup to like your first transfer, right? So like, I didn't realize how much it was like, like when I got that negative, it was like, what was I doing in this whole like last year, like for nothing. So that was just such a big, it's like a loss um, of many like aspects, like not just your embryo, but like all the time you put in, like the money and, you know, the physical investment, all of that stuff. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I think, you know, all of us on this journey, we kind of just like learn to pick ourselves up somehow and like get through the days and like move on to the next step and like keep looking ahead. Um, I know for me, like my Instagram has helped me a lot. Like I made it first of all to kind of as like an outlet for myself because I like writing and so it would help me. It was like therapeutic for me to just like get everything out. Um, but in doing so, I like found you and I found like all these other like Instagram um, accounts that were like really, really incredible. And like everyone's going through such a unique journey. Everyone's like in this like shitty, but like <laughs> also awesome community where we can all like share with each other and kind of not feel alone. Um, so I wanted to hear like kind of what brought you to like your Instagram account where you like felt like, okay, this is my time to share. And then specifically your Instagram handle. Cause I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> I know it is so weird. And I think it's very specific to like my family actually, <laughs> but anyway, I thought um, it was really interesting. I was like, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's so interesting. Um, so yeah, actually it's, it's so funny. Like I am an avid Instagrammer. I do have a separate personal account. Um, I'm not ready to merge it yet, but at one point I do hope to, you know, open it up so that I can actually be truly authentic. Um, and we can talk about that in a second about like, you know, the stigma and the bias in the South Asian community. Um, but it was really interesting because I actually didn't even realize that there would be a space. I, I don't know why I didn't think that, but that there would be a space on Instagram for folks who are going through infertility or their fertility journey, right? And so I'm trying to remember, what was the first account? I'm so bad at remembering, um, but she's South Asian. She's Pakistani. I think her name is Saida. I think it's Brown Girl Infertility. Oh yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah. So actually that was the very first account that another friend of mine 
who is not South Asian, but had done IVF, had sent me because I was at the lowest of my low, <laughs> like after I had my two back-to-back -back chemical pregnancies with, and it was funny, I had chemical pregnancies with IUIs. I had absolutely nothing with my IVF, not even a line. It was like, they just failed. So I was like, this is weird. Like, why am I getting pregnant with the IUI and not with the IVF, which is even more, you know, apparently um, aggressive protocol right um so she sent me brown girl infertility i believe I'm, I'm sorry if i'm messing that up i will fix it but um and i was just blown away by the comments and the story and i was like oh my gosh like this would have helped me so much if i had known about this and if i had been part of that community when i was starting out because you know i literally was in the thick of ivf in the middle of COVID and uh, you know, like it, the along. clinic that I go to, like, you know, I mean, I was the only one in the waiting room. Like my partner couldn't come in with me. I was alone all the time. None of the support groups were active, not even virtually. So like I had no one to talk to <laughs> and like, you know, like, and the folks that I knew, that had IVF, like they had done it years ago. They have their kids either through um, finally having successful IVF or donor embryos or adoption. Um, and so, you know, they were so many years removed, like it's changed, like the, the whole process has changed. And again, they're at the other end of it. And so, so I did like join like a support group of, of a friend of a friend of mine of all these folks that had gone through IVF the same time four years ago. And it was nice to talk to these so-called veterans of IVF because they knew what it was like, but they weren't in the middle of it. So they were kind of removed from the emotional aspect of it, I think. Okay. Anywho, all that to say, I found that Instagram and I was like, you know what? Literally like a week later, I was like, I'm going to create my own Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> um, and cause I was also thinking, you know, so it's, I have a day job. I'm in public health. I'm a health communication specialist. I work in chronic disease. I worked in infectious disease, yada, yada, yada. But my passion is actually reproductive justice. And so I do a lot of work with a lot of nonprofits here on the ground. And one of the things that we've talked about is as Asian folks in general, um, a lot of us have a lot of shame around talking about body parts, especially sexual body parts. Um, and actually my grad school thesis was on pap smears in South Asian communities and whether or not like, you know, women were being like, or young girls were being told by their moms like, oh no, you can't do that because then you'll lose your virginity because once you've been penetrated, you know what I mean? Like all these weird mm -hmm. myths and superstitions around even seeing a guy before you're married, right? right. Um, and that's where the idea of euphemisms, and I remember doing those interviews like back in 2010, 2011, and all these, uh, you know, folks that identified as young women from the South Asian diaspora be, literally being like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't even know the word for vagina in our language. It's like, it's called something else. It's called the area down there. Or in my situation, they called it Nietzsche. And then what's really funny is my mom and my sisters and I, Nobody else in our family, don't know why. Actually, I think my aunts, we call our vaginas patajas, which means like firecrackers. <laughs> so, like, I'm like, why, why? Like, so I myself don't even 
actually think I know what the word for vagina is in Urdu or Hindi. So true. I don't. That's not a word. But yeah, I was like, I, I'm not familiar with it. So we yeah. have euphemism. So. So my Instagram handle is called Jaika Intizar, which literally means waiting for tea um, or waiting for like, I guess you can even say like for a cup of tea or something. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that came about is because I remember, again, as a kid going to Pakistan and sitting around and the adult, especially the aunties are sitting in a room and you know how sometimes when they get together, they're not the nicest and they do this <laughs> -up thing where they're like gossiping with each yep. other. Um, so from far as I can understand, and I was really young, um, there was a woman in the community that apparently had gotten pregnant out of wedlock and they didn't want to say anything in front of us. Like, I mean, granted, like I don't speak the greatest or the word Hindi, but like, I understand it. <laughs> so yeah. they're talking about this woman and they were like, they got to the point where they were like, Oh, like trying to talk about her pregnancy. And so they were like, Oh Yeah. Although, you know, she's like waiting for her tea. She's, she's got, she's Jaika and Thazar. And I was like, there's no tea. We just had tea. Like, I'm so confused. It's 10 PM. Why would we have tea after 10 PM? Um, and so like, it wasn't until like later that I realized that that is what had happened. And that's the euphemism they were using to basically describe like her state of being pregnant. And I thought that was so interesting because like, yeah. like I said, I haven't really heard that euphemism as often. Um, so I don't know if that's like a family one or like specific to like living in Lahore. <laughs> like I was like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, and that's kind of the meaning behind my Instagram handle. And, and yeah, so I started posting and it's been, um, it's just been, it's again, like how they always say, it's the worst club, best members, right? Yeah. Like, it sucks to be a part of this club, but you do find folks that are super supportive. They understand exactly what you're going through. They provide advice. Like I didn't even know about the ERA test until I started going down the rabbit hole of like, oh, wait, th these people have done this. Like, let me try this. Let me advocate. Mm -hmm. um, I'd never heard of reproductive immunologists. Like, that's like the next thing on my list. I was like, I was like, they don't tell you these things when you're at the doctor's office. You really do have to do yeah. a lot of research on your own and, and kind of rely on others that have gone through the situation that you have. For sure. I think um, I've learned a lot, like even medically, like you said, about just everything that's involved with this whole process. And then, um, and just seeing like other like brown girls going through it, like you said, like, I mean, this is a stigma regardless, right? Like infertility in general, but I feel like in our culture, there's like this extra like shame or like discomfort in talking about you know, sex related topics in general, let alone like infertility is like this whole other, like very layered complex thing to talk about. Um, but yeah, like I still remember like growing up, I mean, we don't get the sex talk, like, that's oh, not the thing. like there's, no, there's no such thing as that. Like um, there, I remember like thinking like I wanted to get like my HPV shot, like in high school. And it was like, I, I was like grappling with like, how am I supposed to like ask my mom or like go to a gynecologist and like get like a pap smear, you know, I was like 21 and I was still struggling um, with like how to kind of navigate that because I wasn't fully independent, right? Like I was on my parents' health insurance and all of this. So 
um, like it's, it was hard enough going through all of that. And then, and then reaching a point where I'm like, Hey, by the way, like I've been trying to conceive and it's not working and we're doing IVF now. <laughs> like, and I still feel like, um, you know, obviously it's different with your friends, with your Instagram community and like other people who are going through it. Um, like it's still like difficult, like talking to family about it. Um, like they're re really supportive. Like they know what I'm going through, but at the same time, um, they don't, I don't know. Know. there's a level of like, there's not a lot of details discussed. And like, I don't, I don't like talk about it to like my family, friends or my family. I'm not as like forthright with it as I am with like, you know, my like friends. So I don't know, I guess, what your thoughts are on all of this. No, I agree. And it's so interesting that you brought up the whole like non-sex talk because I, the one thing that disappointed me so much about not having my mom around for my wedding was literally, I was waiting for that sex talk. I wanted to hear how <laughs> she was going to say it. I was like, is she going to use euphemisms like the birds and the bees? Like, <laughs> I have no idea because again, like I told you, my mom told us that vaginas are padahas and like, I was like, fire, like it took me a really long time to realize. I was like, wait a minute, that's not the actual word. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, like I, I agree. I, and so I have like basically my dad and my sisters left. I don't really go into details with my sisters, mostly because I think it makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> so um, I do tell them though, I'm like, get your fertility checked, like at least go get your, your AMH levels. Like, you know, just, just know where you're at because you all are in your thirties and I didn't expect to have to go through this. I don't know why I didn't considering my mom's side of the family I have at least two or three aunts that, you know, they've never been able to conceive. I know one actually did do IVF. I know my mom had issues conceiving like after me and my other sister, like for the third. So yeah. it's just, again, like you don't talk about these things. Like even now when I ask my dad, like he doesn't want to bring up and talk about my mom's miscarriages. Like, I'm like, how many did she have? Like, can you tell me? And like, he, he just doesn't want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely, I think there's shame. Yeah. I think it's that cycle of like, they weren't told anything until literally the day of their wedding. <laughs> Some of them. Um, I think there's just, uh, there's also, I don't know about in your culture, but like there's definitely the concept of the evil eye too, like where, you know, if you talk negatively about something, mm -hmm. it'll manifest as a negative thing. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of judgment. I think there's just, there's a lot of things kind of playing into it that are very complex. Um, I think it's also just really just being uncomfortable. Like they don't know how to have that talk because they didn't have yeah, that talk. For sure. Um, like I know even for me, it wasn't even about sex. Like my mom couldn't even talk to me about my period. Like that was super traumatic to be like 14 years old, blood running down my leg after yeah. like, a party and she did not want to explain anything to me like my aunt had to explain it and then I in turn had to explain it to my two younger sisters when time came they knew not to even go to my mom they were like she's just gonna be weird about it <laughs> like, my mom threw a pad at me and I was like and it was like use this and I was like I have never seen this what this is like if it wasn't for schools, like sex education yeah, as lacking yeah. as it was, like I had no clue. Right. Um, there was so much that I just, you know, I just didn't know about my body. And then again, like we were saying, like, you know, 
sex equals pregnancy and and the fact that like tracking and ovulation and certain times like all these things I didn't know about any of this until I started going through yeah no I think you're right there's a lot of there's a lot of shame and judgment I mean picturing the auntie circle talking like you know that you just associate with a specific um you know feeling that like people are judging and talking about you at any time which unfortunately can happen a lot. And then the culture of just like keeping quiet. And I don't know, it's just like a cycle. I don't know if, I don't think, you know, everyone has bad intentions and is talking negatively about people. I think a lot of it is just people don't know, like you said, how to approach these topics. Um, And I know a friend of mine recently told her mom, like, oh, like, you know, my friends are going through IVF, blah, blah. And like her mom was initially really uncomfortable, but then when she like, saw her daughter talking so openly about this topic she like in turn reciprocated and like became a little more comfortable so I think um and it's hard when we're kids though you know like when we're like growing up we're not gonna like initiate these conversations but I think even now like it's not too late um and like you and me we're talking now we're on social media and like we're being open and I think those are kind of like the first steps um you know, my friends are now telling people and like, you know, it gets spread in the community and hopefully people will like, at least be more, be more aware that like people are going through this stuff and like, it's not the end of the world to talk about it and it's not shameful. It's very common and very common um, and like support each other in this. Yeah, no. And I know it makes my dad uncomfortable, but I do not mince words with him. I'm like, this is what's happening. This is what happened. These are the millions of shots that I had to do. He hasn't actually seen me give myself a shot or anything, but I mean, he's the only parent I have left. So I was like, you're going to hear about this because this is a major part of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I know he's uncomfortable, but honestly, again, like, I'm like, if we don't talk about it, like nothing changes. And I don't want to be sitting in silence and not feeling like I can be truthful. Like I can't rely on my family to even understand what I'm going on and like the thing is like even though I tell them and I I don't know your situation but I know like even if I tell folks like in detail about what IVF is like they still don't get it right so it's like there's definitely some comments made that you're just like no (laughs) a lot of people are like are you sure you want to do this? Like, try, keep trying naturally. Like, yeah, so much. Like, why are you relax? Stop stressing out. Okay. Like, you know. Oh, and then there's always like those weird, like, oh, drink milk before this or that. Right, or, like, like the weird superstitions. The weird superstitions, yeah. and I'm like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it, yeah, it's definitely. But I feel like, like you said, like the more folks are talking out and up and, and just sharing, hopefully, um, I, hope, I have hope that folks will, you know, that this will break that kind of weird intergenerational, like hesitation towards talking about sex and yeah. fertility and reproduction. For sure. I think, um, I think slowly but surely things will start to change and it's, Um, It starts with us just like talking about it like we are now. I'm going to say thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, you're doing incredible things. I want to hear more. This was like not enough time, Um, but it means a lot. And I know other people will really appreciate hearing, um, you know, everything you said and everything we've discussed. Um, Yeah. Hopefully we'll talk again soon. Um, Anything, anything like last words you wanted to add? Um, 
Not really. I guess like, you know, I guess what I would say is like, you know, for folks that are going through this, it's hard and it's difficult and it's painful. And like you said, like, I don't know how we have the energy to continue going on. Like after each failed cycle, after each negative pregnancy test, I'm always like, this is it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And then somehow I find the reserve to continue on. And I've noticed that in the community, whether it's in the, you know, the brown community, but it's just in general with this entire Instagram community of folks, like I said, that are going through IVF, you'll see this. And then at some point, some folks decide this is it. That's the end of my journey. And I think we need to be respectful of that as well, because that's not an easy decision. Um, or, you know, people are like, all right, I, I think I'm moving on to donor eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very hard time wrapping my head around that kind of plan B and C, but um, I guess I would just say like, reach out, you know, ask me questions. I've been through this yeah. <laughs> for a while and I'm happy to chat with anyone who has hesitations or questions or, you know, just wants to commiserate. So thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you again.